We are more than one month into stay-at-home ordinances across America. For work, play, and school, we're learning to do it from home. This isn't the first time in history where we've lived like this, but in many cases, the instructions for this kind of isolated living are long gone. My name is Morgan Esberg, and this is Women Travel, a podcast about the places women have been to and the things they did there. This week, I'm focusing on the places we go to without traveling. First, we're looking at a quarantine lifestyle that is inherently separate. I was homeschooled from kindergarten to ninth grade. Then I'll tour the places that we travel to alone. And finally, we'll travel forward to what the future can teach us. With me now is my friend Megan Huffman. Why were you not enrolled from the early pre-K age? It was a decision that my parents made um, probably when I was, you know, still in gestation. And (laughs) they were thinking about how they wanted to raise their children. And so I'm the oldest child. I was the, the experiment. My mother is a scientist and my father is an artist. And they have very strong feelings about proper education. And they looked at the way that the public school system currently teaches children and the content of the material. And they felt like they they wanted a different way and, and more involvement in their child's education. And uh, that it was important that, you know, they felt the right lessons were being imparted and that I wasn't in some way uh, just given the wrong information and and left to flounder in that um, by myself. So they definitely made learning an environment that was open for any questions anytime I had anything that I was just sort of confused on or this doesn't make any sense or why is this this way? You know, no question was off the table. And, and that was really important. So there was a lot of trust and a lot of just a, a comfort in knowing that when it came to my my education, my parents were always there and that I could approach them and ask them about anything. Okay. There's a lot to that. There's, this is one of those topics that you can, I, that I could definitely dig into and expand for a whole hour. But today I'm focusing more on the home life, what it's like to live with a smaller community, how to handle those transitions and still find comforts when when going through okay. big changes. So first of all, in organization, was there much separation between class, any homework you had and home life? There was a particular room that we had in the house and that was the school room. And, you know, if we were in there for any reason, we were doing schoolwork. And then when school was over, we really didn't go in there because that's kind of like my mom just wanted to make it a very clear distinction between the environment that we're in for our purpose of this is school time and then the rest of the house was you know free roam one thing i think that was really interesting and i i think that people have different ways of homeschooling they have different curriculums that they use but my parents chose a very literature-based Uh, curriculum. And so I didn't have separate textbooks for a lot of subjects. I had um, autobiographies of scientists and presidents and explorers and, you know, things like that instead. I was encouraged, especially when it came to like science specifically, to be really creative and, and work with my parents to kind of form what it was that we were learning about each week. And so we would 
do hands-on experiments or, you know, she'd take me to the zoo and tell me, go find an animal that you think is interesting and then we'll do a research report about it. And it, it was just a, a, a very, I think, involved sort of approach to homeschooling instead of me being given a task I was encouraged to come up with the task and it it kept me invested and I I was really excited about it and so um to answer your yeah I just want to sorry I'm gonna interrupt really quick but I wanted to say that learning about scientists and um mathematicians like that was a big thing for me in public school and we're not really doing a comparison of that we're just You know, I struggled specifically with math and sciences because I wanted to know, you know, more, like, what's the story here? And uh, I think that's a really fascinating approach, and I'm just really impressed by that because uh, from personal experience, the more I learned about the mathematicians um, throughout history, the more interested I became in the subject itself. Yeah, exactly. And, like, tried harder to be good at right. it. Right. And and so there was like absolutely, you know, core math that I would exercises that I would do every day and concepts that would build on each other, you know, and I remember I so the curriculum we used was called Saxon uh hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> but, you know, it was it was just um there are 30 problems to work out and each of those problems they incorporate something that you learned in a previous lesson and so you're practicing new stuff while continuing to apply old stuff and it all builds on each other right but then i also read the autobiography of the author of this curriculum and how the turntables turn i know i know and so you know it was it was so interesting because it was like i was i was learning something concrete and boring in my opinion because i also struggled with math um but but learning about how this was something that was developed by somebody and the questions that they brought to the table and the approach that they wanted to take and the you know the the real results they wanted to gain from what they were doing the way that all of that worked in his mind it was just it was amazing it was it was like I totally get now why this lesson is the way this is and hmm. it, it just helped connect things for me and and I I love that my parents encouraged that like at every turn it makes me think a lot about the whole like learning about how you learn and that kind of stuff and right. I'm way yeah, off topic I'm, so <laughs> no it's fine <laughs> okay. I told you it was a very positive experience for me I could talk about this for hours <laughs> What did the community look like for you? Yeah, so um, I had people in my life that were, I would say, friends of my parents, probably first of all, but then kind of over time and exposure, more and more people that I met. Um, and we, we formed, a, they call it a co-op, but it was just like groups of other families that also homeschooled their children. Mm-hmm. And once a week, we would get together and we would do some sort of group activity. And so like for us, it was going to a museum or... Um, sometimes we'd all go and, and it didn't always have to be educational. Most of the time it was, but, but sometimes it was just like, let's go to the water park, you know? And so we'd all take a big drive out to the water park, which was several hours away, but it was something we were all super looking forward to. And I would say that, uh, you know, from, from an academic perspective, that was a, a huge outlet for socialization. And then there was also the almost secondary family that I had in the form of the attendees of our church. 
And so I, I was really involved in our, our youth ministry and before that the children's church. And, and those people were, you know, people that I, I think I was able to both mix with and also um, have differences because many of those kids were not homeschooled. It wasn't like we all had the exact same upbringing. And so we could kind of talk and compare about different things. and Trade notes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I feel like that's what the internet's doing very well right now during COVID is just um, <laughs> just trading notes about how you're doing things. How are you? Right. How are you doing things? Right. Okay, cool. Good to know. <laughs> oh, no, I'm yeah. doing it this way. But yeah, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. In a more personal sense, there is a surreal feeling of alienation. Um, we're having a break from all of these communities and, and being set apart in a dramatic way. I could imagine that the transition from being homeschooled and going into... Yeah, freshman year of high school. To freshman. Um, seems like yeah. a pretty a pretty big transition of... Uh, the inverse happening. Definitely. Yeah. Um, especially because for years, my home had been my haven. It was, so I grew up on a farm and we had, um, horses that we bred and raised and sold and trained. And we, we like, that was a big business for us was breeding and training horses. And so I, I had been very involved in that. And it, it was just this, this life of, you know, family and work ethic and school and playtime and and all of it was kind of intertwined with my home. That was that was my environment and and I loved it. And so to be taken from that and uh, again I think the loss of structure was a big thing for me, but it was really put into a different structure. This adds an extra layer, but my parents divorced. And that's why oh, I went to high school. Snaps. Yeah. Um, because we, we were no longer in a financially uh, capable position to continue with homeschooling. And, um, and I just had no other choice. So my freshman year, um, I remember going in and I was immediately struck with how little we were actually being taught on a daily basis. There was this... It was like um, if you have a meal in front of you and I had been allowed to eat at my own pace, however much or little I wanted to, and now it was like someone was sitting across from me just taking little spoonfuls and handing it to, you know? It was just like, it it was such a different experience. And I felt like um, by the end of the school year, we had not learned as much as I felt like I covered at home through, you know, maybe just a semester. And really, um, for me, I I think this is probably something that most homeschool kids would say. I wasn't conscious of, of when school ended as far as the year goes because we didn't have these big swaths of summer break and Christmas break and that kind of thing. We did school year-round. But it was much shorter. So I was finished by like noon, two o'clock, something like that. Mm-hmm. And and I had much more of my day to enjoy. But I also got up at like 6.30 and, you know, went out and took care of the horses and then came back and immediately started I could imagine school. a lot more direct experience. You know, you're not waiting for a classroom of 30 to quiet down. You're waiting for like, right. I don't know how many siblings you have, three? Just just, just one. one. Yeah, yeah, two. Just me and okay. my sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And, and so that was a big thing. Uh, the other thing that I was confronted with almost immediately, which was really hard for me to accept, was the way that the students responded and behaved towards the teachers. Oh, yeah. There was, it, at my, um, in, in my perspective at that time, it was an overwhelming amount of disrespect and, you know, just disregard for their authority. Um, there were words I had never heard before in my life that they were using. <laughs> This I know it's an audio medium, but like my eyes just went so wide. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, oh, I yeah. mean, seriously, like, I, I don't know. Are you allowed to curse on this podcast? Yeah. Okay, I've never heard. I never heard anyone say "fuck off" in my life. You know, like oh, wow. just no, not no to a concept. teacher. No, no. no. Um, and then uh, I, I was also struck with at lunchtime how clickish everything was mm. so the students definitely had their circles and people weren't really invited to intermix in those circles and that was not something I'd ever experienced before either because anytime something like a click was forming between a group of youngsters in my homeschool co-op or at church or something like that we were encouraged to mix it up and go sit with other people and you know be more inclusive like just the idea of excluding people because they're different or because, well, I don't like the way they look or the way they dress or they're weird. It, it was it, it was not something that I had had to confront in my life before because I feel like that kind of an opinion about people didn't really have the opportunity to take root any time that maybe it was beginning to be expressed mm-hmm. in me my parents or my friend's parents would encourage a different direction. And so I just didn't, you know, I didn't know what racism was. Like I, I, I really felt the overwhelming sense of stepping into almost a different world whenever I went to public school because it was just the way that people treated each other was so different. And so I'm going to say this before anyone else does, but you lived like a real life mean girls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, complete with the fact that I'm South African. So <laughs> nailed it. Yeah, yes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, um, I hated it. It was incredibly depressing. I'm sorry. No, I'm no, not no, going to no. lie. I believe you. That's, it, it was, I, that's a I picture. absolutely hated it. I and I did. I went through depression and um Yeah, and that and that kind of brings me to Do you remember what helped you get through that part of it? I mean, I know it's the inverse socially, but it's still it's still hard and it's still a dramatic change and and yeah, what helped you get through that? Yeah. Um well, my family despite being different now, uh were definitely still there for me. And so I was able to confide in them. Um I also met someone uh, very special um, at that time who seemed to be a kindred spirit that I could just kind of connect with and reach out to and, again, confide in and and share these experiences with. Um, And he became my husband. So, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's where we met. That's where we met. And honestly, I don't think if I had ever gone to public school, we would have ever met. I really don't know. Yeah. Because I'd never met him before, and we came from a very small town. So, 
It's just... Did he kind of, like, show you the ropes of anything, or...? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I I think the fact that we connected so much is because he also didn't fit in. Um, He was a very sort of old-fashioned young man. He wasn't interested in a lot of the things that most of the guys were interested in, and so, you know, they kind of shunned him. And and, and so I feel like, uh, you know, I, I... saw something in him and he saw something in me and we were able to connect and bond over that and uh, find humor in situations Um, and then the other thing is I got really involved in theater and that was a massive creative outlet for me. I am a very creative person and so being able to step into the shoes of someone else and put myself into a situation that would be completely foreign to me um, but pretend and, and have to embody this character that was such an exciting and cathartic experience uh, because it was it was kind of a form of escapism honestly I was able to stop being me and worrying about my problems for right now and think about someone else and imagine what their problems would be and how they would work through that and how that would come across in the dialogue and the you know blocking on stage and so that was I, I think a huge huge thing um I remember very specifically there was a point where I was so depressed um i i wasn't suicidal but it was like passing thoughts of death and suicidal ideation you know just the idea that well if i were to die tomorrow who cares you know if a car accident were to happen on the way home from school i guess that'd be fine i was uh cast in a play and it's called night mother and it's just two women and um the Uh, one woman is a mother and the other woman is her daughter and the whole play takes place in the span of a night and the daughter has told her mother that she is going to take her own life and she's set it up so that she'll be taken care of and everything will be fine after she's gone but she just can't exist in this world anymore and I was cast as that daughter and like having to go through that and really think through the implications, especially the familial effects of what taking my own life would be like, it was, it, I, I can't really explain it, but it, it helped me get through that in, in, in a way where I, I saw things as much bigger than myself. And I realized that I'm not the only one who would be, in, you know, affected here. Right. And, you were able and, to think about the consequences or kind of... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that using your imagination in any situation, and, and if you ever have the opportunity to step outside your own circumstance and think about someone else's, mm-hmm. it's a really powerful thing. And, and it can help you work through a lot of issues. You know, I I threw you a curveball and you just knocked it out of the park. And um, wow, <laughs> that's a lot to think about. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. And I think I think that's the perfect way to answer the next question, which is, you know, what can what tools have you found that can be applied to help people adjust to this globalized world and and to the changes that we're going to need to be making as a society and to think about the consequences and the effects of your actions um, can be very helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. And, 
it's really important to remember that we're all connected and that you, no matter how alone you may feel, especially right now with what we're going through, you are not alone. And there are people that are going through the same thing, but feeling differently. And and maybe you could derive some hope from the, you know, encouragement that they're feeling because, oh my gosh, I'm finally getting the time to do these things that I've been putting off forever. Or, you know, like we, we have a shared experience, but we all have sort of different perceptions of it and, and how that affects us personally and deeply. Um, and so I think that like not forsaking each other and just remembering that there is community around you, even if you're not face to face, it's, it's really, really important. That is very true. Thank you, Megan. You're welcome. I have one last question. Okay. Can you tell me a story about a comfort to you? It can be anything from making tea in the morning to watering plants. What is something that you've been enjoying doing every day? Oh, this is going to sound really strange for some people, but I have pet rats. <laughs> and they are a joy to me. And I, I love to just cuddle them and play with them and set up their cage and make new toys for them. And, and so that's like a daily... Do you knit Do you knit rat toys? I do. And, and hammocks and um, yeah, it's... Well, I guess so knitting is another answer to that, but I... Knitting is like, I don't know, it's it's very therapeutic and, and I, I do find it very comforting. But my love of animals is something that I just, it's always been a, a very strong part of who I am. Um, and so being able to take care of something else that relies on me and that, you know, I can see the joy and the affection from that being, it's just, it, it's a wonderful feeling. Let me take you to a place. It's actually your place. It's warm and quiet here. It's the place that you sneak off to after family dinners on cool summer nights. It's the same place where you rest in gentle puddles of sunlight. Maybe you brought a book with you. Maybe a cozy animal is already there waiting for you. It is our Sunday afternoon place. It might be your happy place but it is where you go to find peace. Often in travel, we talk about going to a place, but there is a spiritual element to learning how to watch the world from anywhere. Have you been marking the squirrels and learning where their nests are? How many leaves are on the tree outside your window? Can you count them? Have you tried? In the book Bow First, Ask Questions Later, Justin Claire Greenwood spends more than eight years in Japan learning to become a Zen nun. She travels around the world and learns how to sit, how to focus on grains of rice, and how to exist in one moment at a time. You don't have to go anywhere to learn these lessons. It is the lesson that many of us are struggling to practice now. And we don't have a stern Japanese monk to notice our missteps. As individuals, we need to accept that we cannot make something so alien like this vanish. But if we're lucky, we have silence. We have stillness. 
these are the best teachers in the world. We still have grass and blooming flowers and leaves to count. I urge you to pay attention to the small details. Think about the travels an ant takes to cross your sidewalk. Think about the world that is alive around you. I urge you to try to find things to appreciate about this because the best thing that we have right now is time. We have time to plan and we have time to look into the future. We have time to look at our accomplishments and failures in our past and we have time to decide on a better plan. As a kid, when April and May rolled around, I would begin making my list in the back of my notebook. It would be all the things I wanted to do when school was out. I wanted to bike to the candy store. I wanted to go to the Saturday markets and buy fresh flowers. I wanted to organize a party for the summer solstice. It's not about completing that list. It's about having a plan for what you want to do when you can. What is special to you? What meaningful activities have you missed? Write those down. Write down logistics and plan for when they can happen. Because summer is going to be here sooner than you think. Now, I've got Katie Williams, a.k.a. the Traveling Spud, on the line. Specifically in Idaho, what small things do you really want to make happen this summer? I think if I can get some road trips in, if we're allowed to leave, I really want to go down to Thousand Springs this summer and do some stand-up paddleboarding and then potentially go to stand-up paddleboard close to Shoshone Falls. I grew up in Twin Falls, Idaho, which is where Shoshone Falls is, and I never ever got to do the stand-up paddleboarding when I lived there because it wasn't a thing. So I'm really excited to go down and do that. Hopefully, hope we can do it. So in order to make these things happen, especially in times like this where um, things are more difficult and more challenging, do you have any tips on saving up money so that you can make that big thing happen this summer? I think the biggest thing is changing your mindset. Um, People have asked me all the time, like, how did you save up for your big trip around the world? And like, how did you save up this much money? And basically it was kind of like, I just, in my mind, I decided I am going to go on this trip and it is going to take precedent over everything else. So if I want a Starbucks coffee, do I really want that Starbucks coffee or would I rather save it for pasta when I'm in Italy or taking a train ride to somewhere or buying a ticket to a museum. Um, I feel like that's kind of one of the things that I've, I really try to do is, okay, these new pants are, they're really cute right now, but do I need them? Or can I literally go to this museum instead that is a once in a lifetime versus these pants that are going to go out of style in like a few years? Being aware of where my money is in terms of budgets and yeah, anyway. 
So that's a big one, changing my mindset. Do you think that helps with um, like other things too, kind of like in the vote with your money kind of concept? Did it make you more aware of those things? What do you mean by vote with your money? Well, because you chose pants. And I love that example because it made me think of fast fashion and how there's a lot of things where it's just like, you don't really need that thing. You don't really need the matching glove and sweater set. And especially when you're more aware of what your money can buy. Yeah. I found that for me, it helped me, you know, feel more empowered to once I do choose to buy something, I put a lot more thought into it. Totally. That's completely true. And also what's crazy is when you travel, your money can actually go farther than you, than it does at home because you're not paying. Well, okay. That's a lie because if you're taking a trip, I'm thinking in terms of like, if you're quitting your life and going to travel forever. But, um, yeah, I definitely think while you're traveling and if you want that Aperol spritz or you want you like, it's, I think thinking about it in, in terms of, okay, I could have this little tiny exciting thing right now in terms of this Starbucks coffee. But in the long run, when I'm in Italy in Venice and I want to go on a gondola ride, like I gave up like however many Starbucks coffees and now I'm having this amazing experience that I can have forevermore. And when I get home, I can go get my Starbucks coffee. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of the mindset that I kind of go along with, but I always have made travel kind of a priority for myself. A lot of my friends, um, have always asked me like, how do you have so much money for travel? I'm like, well, you just, you always tell me you don't have money for travel yet. You just went and spent $600 at Nordstrom. Mm -hmm. So like, I guess I'm just not, spending the money on the Nordstrom, I'm spending the money on the flight. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I think about that's like one of my biggest things in terms of saving is like changing what what you're buying, essentially. So what are two more tips you got for me? Another good one is probably um, creating kind of a savings plan just for yourself. So what I do is I create a savings account within my bank like, or I'll just name the account something like my trip to, I'm just using Italy right now as an example, but I would say my Italy trip. And I, over the years I've had multiple savings accounts for different trips. Like my around the world trip was one. And then I've had one where I'm saving up, um, to go to Peru and like random things like that. But what I do is I, every person, every check that I get deposited into my account, let's say from my job, I'll set up a percentage of the what I get and put it directly into that savings account for the trip so that I don't even almost see it missing in my account. And I know, know that it's constantly going in because you can set up within most bank accounts, you can set up like an automatic amount that goes directly into savings on certain days within the month. So that's one thing. And that I love doing because it adds up like you what like you wouldn't even believe. Yeah. And another fun thing that I like doing is each time I think Wells Wells Fargo does this, but I don't know about other banks. Every time I buy something, it'll round up to the nearest dollar so and then put that in the savings. So if I buy something that's like $5.30, it'll round up to $6 and it'll put that difference into my account, which is pretty cool. Got it. It's the saving yeah. match accounts, right? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, those are pretty smart. Be- mainly just because if you're having a hard time saving, this just automatically does it for you. Um, you don't even have to think about it. And then when you look at your account, you're like, oh, wow, I've actually like put a lot in there without 
physically doing it. Because when you physically do it, I think it's just harder. But when it's just automatically doing it, it's a lot easier. So that's my second tip. You can even put that on a smaller scale of like, okay, this is how much I would need for gas money in order to get to like, see the so I've never been to Canada. So hypothetically, if I wanted to go to the Canadian border and just accomplish that task, Mm -hmm. you know, estimating the miles, how much gas that would need, like, how much food and hotel um, would cost. And and then once I research that have a goal number, and then spend the next couple of months or, you know, weeks and months building up that savings account. So it could definitely that kind of plan sounds like it could certainly be scaled, totally, depending on what's available to each person. Absolutely. And that's like what you just said is exactly what I do is I kind of plan out how much money I'm going to need. And then I kind of go for that goal. I calculate out yeah, how much gas I'm going to need or how much is the flight going to cost, etc, etc. So yeah, and then my third tip would probably be getting a debit card that doesn't have ATM fees. Because let's if you're going international, this is only if you're going to travel internationally, honestly. Um, Does it apply to Canada? Yeah. Okay. In Canada. I have no desire to go Um, to Canada. I just like. (laughs) It actually might apply to the US also. Also, Canada is pretty awesome. So, anyway, side note. Okay. (laughs) If let's say I'm go, I have my ATM card from Wells Fargo and I'm walking around some city like in Chicago and I can't find a Wells Fargo, I can go to a Chase ATM and pull out money and not get charged. So this is with the Charles Schwab. Right now, Charles Schwab is the one that I use for my debit card. But this one is my travel account, the Charles Schwab. And it's the one that I transfer my money into when I'm going to go on a trip because I know that when I get to a new airport in a country, I can just go to the any ATM, any random ATM, and they reimburse you for the ATM fees. And I've had friends who just have to keep pulling out money every day from the ATM. They get charged each time, and it just adds up. Yeah. So if you can get one that doesn't have those ATM fees, that is huge, I think. I think that's really big as well when you're traveling, anywhere you're traveling, um, because I remember traveling in Europe and having to like you you always had your money on you and so you didn't have to go to the ATMs and that kind of stuff but it was also terrifying because all like most of your money or a big chunk of money is on you and you're already a target so it's just built on that and so that's a really good work way work around so that you have the convenience but also you aren't a very noticeable target sometimes. Exactly. I never had to really pull out huge, huge chunks. I could just go every day if I wanted because I knew that it would be free to pull it out. Is there? Are, what are some common blind spots uh, when people are trying to plan ahead and figure out those logistics? First of all is making sure that when you get somewhere, let's say you're getting off of an airplane, make sure you know where you're staying for the night And make sure that you know how to get to your hotel or wherever you're staying. I think that can sometimes be overlooked in terms of you assume that where you're going to go, you're going to have service or you're going to have Wi-Fi. I always like to take a screenshot of my accommodation or location that I'm going to stay or how I'm going to get there via if it's cab or uber or public transportation i at least know what i'm going to be taking especially if you're in a foreign country where english isn't that prevalent i like to make sure that i have printouts or something in case i don't have wi-fi wherever i go so that's kind of one thing i guess if you're traveling within the u.s it's 
way easier because you have the apps and stuff. But that's definitely a good one for international travel when you're planning ahead. That's a great point because it's got me thinking about like whenever, you know, after a flight and you're tired and you just want to get like some food and curl up Mm -hmm. for a little bit. I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel that way. (laughs) Totally. Me too. Um, So once you hit that point in your trip, you really don't want to bother with an app or whether it's local or far away, like you just want to like stop moving for a minute. Exactly. Um, yeah, and that's a really good point. Yeah, I like to have my transportation planned out and my wherever I'm staying just so that I and if you're like for example, I I once went to Cabo and I was like, I'm an experienced traveler. I don't need to plan all this in ahead of time. And I got there and it was just such a cluster. I was by myself. I needed to get to this hotel. I didn't have Wi-Fi. I didn't have the location on my phone. I was getting all these people coming up to me trying to tell me, like, come to my van or come to my car. They're overcharging me. I didn't know where to go to get, the, like, the group van. Anyway, it was a mess. And then I just was like, I need to make sure that I plan this every time. Yeah, so that's a big one. The other one is back to the money thing is, like, getting cash out from an ATM when I get there right at the airport so I don't have to deal with that. Um, this is also kind of an international travel tip. Like when you get to the airport, make sure you like immediately get cash because a lot of times the cabs or the public transportation or whatever will need cash. So it's nice to have it like right before you leave the airport and using your ATM card that doesn't have, doesn't charge you even better. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, I like that you have so many international tips because it kind of, mm, Hopefully, there will be someone out there who's like, oh, I can't afford that. And then I'll be like, haha. But if you follow these tips, exactly. you might be able to. There you go. Yeah. It's possible. More Americans need to get outside of their country. I agree. <laughs> it, you learn so much. Your mind opens so much. It's amazing. This is actually the reverse of that. So going from a, a big city or even like a, a fairly metropolitan area to a rural area um there's kind of starting to be some talk about city germs in a way um have you heard much on this in regards to uh, the rona going around yeah are you talking about like well are you talking about like somebody from new york coming and going to like mccall for example that has like two icu beds Yes. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yes. So they actually, McCall actually turned away a private jet that flew in um, a couple weeks ago trying to go to their cabin. And they just, all the cops surrounded them and told them to go back, which is pretty intense. But I, I mean, I see both sides. Like you want to go to your cabin and just like chill and not be around people in a big city. But then I also see like there's two ICU beds in all of McCall, a tiny little town they don't want to spread. Um, but yeah, it's craziness. And and it's keeping that in mind as as we move forward these four these summer months and as the things that we want to have happen this summer, you know, as we try to make those happen, I was thinking about how it's important to talk about how the virus won't vanish and how we still need to be aware that as we learn new ways, you know, to do things, we need to really learn how to live attentively especially when we're going to areas that can't handle, you know, increase in disease or something. Yeah. That's like such a huge conversation with like, when is this ever going to go away or is it, or are we ever going to go back to normal? I don't know. I'm going to mint this idea now, but I think living attentively is a phrase that I'm going to start saying a lot and Mm -hmm. I'm going to coin it. It's mine now. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Where 
trying to return to a new normal is kind of like pretending that life existed before the flu and we didn't end the flu we just figured out ways to prevent it and to have lower cases of it and to react better when there are cases of Mm -hmm. it exactly and so that's what I'm kind of thinking is like I really hope people start you know taking this as a message okay we need to live more attentively in order for everyone globally to get along yeah at least that's how I see it I totally agree I love that I love the little coining that living attentively It's a good way to think about it. That's for sure. Thank you. All right. And last question. What is something that's comforting to you right now from picking dandelions to lighting a candle? Ooh, I have been every day I have been meditating, going on a walk, doing a tiny little workout to move my body, whether it's yoga or just a tiny hit workout and limiting my news intake. So those have kind of been my like four core things keeping me sane. Um, And then comforting is also I'm getting back into needle pointing and I'm reading a lot. Lots of things. Lots of things. Okay, when you go for a walk, what is something in particular that you've noticed or that you see a pattern? What's crazy is I've seen giraffes on my walks every single day. What? (laughs) I basically, so I live downtown Boise and I'm pretty close to uh, Julia Davis Park. And so I'll walk and do a loop around the zoo. <laughs> and I didn't even know that you could see the giraffes like when you're just walking through the park. So I literally say hi to them every day. It's pretty cool. They're just out. Wow. Cool. Yeah. Do they do anything different? Or are they just chilling? No, they're just chilling and walking around. But it's fun to see all the people. I mean, obviously, people in the park are keeping their distance from each other. Well, not obviously, but most people are. Hopefully, yeah. But it's fun to see everyone when they first see the giraffes for the first time. They're like, oh, my gosh, that's a giraffe. (laughs) Because a lot of people don't know that they're just like right there. This is the end bit. I would like to thank Megan and Katie for joining me on the show. I also have new music from Hats for Birds. He is a local Boise artist I met back in January. And if you liked any of the songs, you can go and buy them on Bandcamp. If you would like to hear more from Katie and traveling tips, she is at travelingspud.com or on Instagram at travelingspud. Megan would like direct relief to get a shout out. It's a nonprofit charity that provides PPE masks to first responders and essential personnel. They've been critical during this pandemic, and if you're able to make a donation to them, that would be amazing. They definitely need it. For me, over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be revamping not only how I do my podcast, but how I am presented online. So I hope you keep an eye out for that. I'm still on Instagram as Morgan Estberg, and I am online if you have any questions, comments, concerns at womentravel at gmail.com, women spelled with a Y. Thank you for listening. I hope you're being safe out there so you can travel attentively in the future. Thank you.